Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-47. The term for a hospital in Hebrew is Beit Cholim, that is, the house of the sick. So the bread term challah is from the same root that we get the term Beit Cholim, that is, a bread of sickness. Once again, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio, and I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. And on our podcast today, we are going to continue where we left off on the last program, which was podcast program number three in dealing with the subject of the Son of Man the sick man and how it relates to what is called the bread and wine of communion or if you will the bread and wine of Judaism's Hamotzi and Kiddush so join us for the next one hour as I seek to unpack some of the ideas as it's found in scripture concerning the son of man thanks for joining us today Now, on the last program, we were talking about the idea of the Son of Man, and I had presented to you the concept that the Son of Man is about a weak one, an ill one, a sickly man, and a wheat grain, or a grain of wheat, as we might understand it from the Hebrew and the Aramaic. So on the last podcast, these ideas were expressed as Yeshua taught it in Mark 9.31. He taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man, which we would understand to be the sickly one, or the ill one, or the weak one, he is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. The Almighty Eternal One, Yehovah, cannot just simply say, I love you, without also saying, I must have a demand for the fulfillment of justice. God cannot simply say, oh, I love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, without also saying, I must have justice I must have justice. I must have justice. This is why Yeshua came on the scene, to complete the justice aspect of Yehovah's law and then combine it and link it to his compassion side of love and mercy. So therefore, through Yeshua's linkage between the love of Yehovah and the fulfilled justice of Yehovah, when those two come together, then we are freely able to choose to receive a new life. Because in joining or associating with Yeshua, as the suffering servant son of man, as it is expressed specifically in Isaiah 53, 5, 
this idea of joining or associating with the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. This idea, joining or associating, which is expressed in the English of Isaiah 53.5 as stripes, that by his stripes we are being healed. That's the term. It's by friendship, by joining, by associating with this suffering servant of Isaiah 53. By that, our bond to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would no longer have any power over us and in us and for us because we will be a new creation in Messiah by conveyance because of simply joining to him and associating with him even as Genesis 2:24 prophetically tells us therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his woman and they shall become one flesh this is what happened between Yeshua and us the word and us and this is what happened between us and the spirit of yeshua with the ruach hakodesh or the holy spirit who is also in hebrew feminine so it's a connection between masculine to feminine and we have to leave father and mother in however that is defined in order to link up with this truth Obviously, this is the metaphor that helps us to understand the role of Yeshua, who came to draw us unto him, that we might join to him, and in this, we would become one with him, as a new bride is joined to her man, or her husband, her groom, because that is what marriage and becoming one is all about so paul obviously got this concept from genesis 2 24 when he wrote in ephesians 5 30 through 33 for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones then he quotes genesis 2 24 improving this statement for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife or his woman, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, says Paul. But I speak concerning Messiah and the congregation which would be the spiritual term and expression for what is truly called Israel. I'm not talking about the natural Israel. I'm talking about spiritual Israel. That's Israel filled with the spirit of Jehovah. And let the wife respect the man, the husband, or as the Greek text would express it, and let the wife honor, submit, and join to the man. Associate to the man that is the husband. 
This is all teaching based on Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 5. So this new covenant theology leaves no room at all for any of the women's equality movement doctrine. There's just no room for it. The women's equality movement. That movement is an old rehash going back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where it reads, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a desired tree to make wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She also, that's important, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Thus the two of them took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from it. And the moment they did that, they became one with that tree, and they became corrupted in their DNA genome inside of them. And that was the very genetic DNA imprint that was passed down through inheritance to each of us all the way down line, which is why we suffer today because of that event. But Yeshua changed that. So I say to you guys, you are not to eat everything that your woman brings home for dinner. And likewise, women, you are not to eat everything that your man brings home for dinner either, because he too is of the bride, the woman of Messiah. So either one of us, male or female, we can end up cooking up something poison for dinner by the doctrines that we walk in. Therefore, be careful what you're listening to, be careful what you're studying, what you're believing. You check everything out and you make sure that you test everything. Test all things. You must test the Ruchot or the spirits, even as first Johanan or John 4, 1 through 4 warned us when it was said, Beloved, do not believe every Ruach or spirit. But test the Ruchot, test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets, or, if you will, many false voices, because that's what a prophet is. A prophet is the voice of God, the voice of Yah. Many false voices have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, every ruach that confesses that Yeshua HaMashiach has come in the flesh, that is bodily, is of God. And every ruach, every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua is HaMashiach and has come in the flesh in a bodily form, that one is not of God. And this is said to be the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming 
and is now already in the world. Yohanan says, You are of Elohim. You are of God, little children, little sons, and have overcome them, those who are denying these things, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we learn Yeshua was more than just some great, gifted teacher of wisdom and righteousness and Torah and all the things of the Jewish ways of life and thought. Oh, he was much, much more. He was the sickly one, the ill one. He was the Son of Man who came to break us loose, to untie us from our bond slavery, our bond servanthood to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, period. In him, no longer should we be spiritually bonded, glued, linked, attached, joined, giving us sickness and illness in the spiritual dimensions of our soul from the corrupted Adamic genome of sin and death from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No more in our soul, in our nephesh, do we have to deal with that. Now, right now, what we are waiting for is the final redemption, the Geulah, Geulah, the final redemption. And what is that? That is when our resurrection will happen on the last day. We are going to experience a resurrection where this body of sin and death, not the nephesh, not the soul inside of us, that's already new. The body of sin and death, that is this outward body that we have, this is going to change. It will be destroyed and we will be given a new body on the last day, the end times resurrection. Therefore, this shows us the character of Jehovah's compassion and his mercy towards us as a servant king. Or sometimes I say as a servant slash king because he is both to us. He is a servant slash king to each of us, which then leads each of us to walk in his costly, paid-for redemption and salvation through the pouring out of his blood into the ground to make him a kosher slaughter, according to Torah kingdom law. Leviticus 17.13, Whatever man of the sons of Israel or children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten. That's the key, that may be eaten. What are you supposed to do with it? According to Leviticus 17.13, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with the dust of the earth. This is further confirmed in Deuteronomy 15.23, 
where Moses writes, only you shall not eat his blood, referring to the blood of an animal that has been slaughtered out in the field. Rather, he says, you shall pour it, referring to the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Now, I know you're going to identify with this because this was the metaphor teaching of what Yeshua did as we came to be joined with him. He poured his blood out for us and we are ground. We are earth. Paul says so. He makes the metaphor clear. He says, we are earthen vessels. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure. That is Messiah, the spirit of Messiah. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You see, we are dirt. We're clay. We're ground. We're Adama. That the excellence of the power, the strength, may be of God and not of ourselves. We are the weak ones. He is the strong one. That's why we are not crushed, though we are hard-pressed. That's why we are not in despair, though we are perplexed. That's why we're not destroyed when we're struck down. That's why we're not forsaken when we are persecuted. Because we're carrying about in the body, that is, in this earthen vessel, the dying of the Master Yeshua, that the life of Yeshua also may be shown or manifested in our body. So, in verse 11 of this text, he says, we who live are constantly, always, being delivered to death for the sake of Yeshua, that the life of Yeshua may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So this is the point. The pouring out of Yeshua's blood is being poured out on us. We are being covered by his blood. We're being covered. He poured it out on us and made us a kosher person, a fit soul. We belong to him now. This is why he also, Yeshua himself, poured out his blood. Therefore, we don't eat his blood in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, we are taking of his blood because it's his life blood. We're going to learn about that in John 6 a bit later on. That is the blessing over the fruit of the vine. Moses says, pour this out on the ground like water on the Adamah. So we are being covered, and he is pouring it out on the ground, on the earthen vessels, like the water of the word. So this was the metaphor teaching of what Yeshua did, as we are joined to him, as we are in association with him. This is the whole point of his teaching, okay? So therefore, we can eat of his body and drink of his blood, not physically, 
but of the spiritual aspect of the intensity of who he was and who he remains to be today. We are truly eating from him and drinking from him. And again, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Thus, we learn from John 1, 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become sons of God, to those who believe in his name. And then he goes on to say, who were born not of bloods. This is real important, folks. This is plural in the Greek. Who were born not of bloods. Why in the world would it speak about it as bloods? Why would he say you were not born of bloods, plural? Well, I had a good long time thinking about that. And what I've come up with is I think it's about two bloods. That is, the Adamic DNA blood that was passed down as a genetic imprint of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil through Adam and Eve. That's the DNA imprint, the genetic imprint from Adam. And the other blood is what we all like to do, and that is through an identity of a physical pedigree. You know how we all like to boast and the fact that we have a pedigree oh i'm jewish so i must have more than you oh you're a gentile you must have less than me oh i'm this or i'm that or i have a phd i have letters behind my name yes i'm much more than you are you don't have a doctor or a phd or letters behind your name so you're not as great as i am do you follow what i'm saying folks these are the bloods it's an Adamic DNA, and it's a pedigree DNA. And we like to be proud that we have both. That's our flesh. Therefore, he says, we receive the right to become sons of God by those who believe in his name, but not because of blood number one or blood number two, nor even of the will of the flesh. The fact that, oh, well, I just want to believe. How many academic ivory tower thinkers and scholars out there who accept and believe all kinds of things, but they are not born from above. They've never had a relationship with Messiah, with Jehovah. I suspect there's a lot of them. They just are academic in nature, and they don't ever enter into the experience of being born from above. Not of the will of the flesh, but we are of Elohim, of God, simply because we have received his name, we've entered into him and joined with him and associated with him because of Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. He is the Son of Man, and we are a new creation in Messiah. Thus, we once again remember Yeshua's very bold statement as he said it in Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man, that is the weak and sickly one, the ill one, he has come to save that which was utterly wasted, ruined, and lost. Or put another way, 
He has come to save him or her who was utterly wasted, ruined, and lost. This is the image, the painting of Isaiah 53, 4-5, the suffering servant Messiah. This is him. So this is what we are to learn in this study. So now, this being said, we're going to carry this further and take a good look into the meaning of Hamotzi in the blessing of eating from the bread or the challah, the challah, and also taking of the wine cup, which is called Kiddush. That is the blessing over the fruit of the vine. Let's pick up on this subject when we come back on the second half of our program. I am Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-47. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio, and I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off just before our break. We were talking about the Bar Enosh or Bar Enosh and the idea that Paul wrote about in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. So this said, let's now carry this further and take a good look into the meaning of the term Hamotzi which is the bread blessing or the blessing over eating of the bread, which is called challah, challah in Hebrew, and also the taking of the wine cup of kiddush, which is the blessing over the fruit of the vine. We call it the yain, the wine. Okay? Now, let us be reminded, because it is no trouble to repeat, not for me anyway, that when we were conceived and born into this world, we were naturally joined to Adam's corrupted DNA genetic nature, which was passed down to us through his inherited imprint, his DNA, entangling us in the imprint of the serpent's DNA. I'm sure you can follow what I just said there. So Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from it. In doing so, it immediately altered their DNA genetic nature. It altered their genome, what they were made of through DNA genetic material. I believe it altered them. And when it altered them, it became part of them. And then that was then passed down line from Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when it says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived, and from that union, Cain Havel, 
and Seth or Shaked. That's when the downline transmission of the fallen nature began, which started corrupting all of mankind. Their DNA genome of who they were got passed down, and that is what we are today. So if you were to ask me the question, were we created in the image of God, in the image of Elohim? I would say the answer is no, we were not. Because if that were the case, then we would be in the image of Adam before his fall. But we're not. Adam's fall came first, along with Eve, and then they had children, and then all of humanity got infected and corrupted. And so we are born after the fact in that line after they are thrown out of the garden and they are already in a corrupted state. So we're not born of Jehovah's nature. We're not in his image. No way. But we can become in his image by becoming born from above or born again. That's what Yeshua was referring to in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 7. He was talking about this idea of being born from above to be regenerated, even as it's spoken of by Paul in his letter to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, that is, saintliness, our own justification, which we have done, but according to his mercy, his compassion, he saved us. Not we saved ourselves, no, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. That's going to represent the Hebrew concept of being born from above in John 3, verses 3 and 7, when Yeshua was speaking to Nicodemus through the washing of the regeneration, the born from above experience and renewing of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us above abundantly through Yeshua HaMashiach, our Savior, that having been justified or made righteous by His grace, because it is grace, because I didn't do it myself, we should become heirs or we should have an inheritance according to the hope of eternal life. And what is the hope of eternal life? It's the resurrection of the end times, the last day. That completes the whole picture of resurrection on the outside and new life on the inside. Or as Paul says, the old man and the new man, the outer man and the inner man, they will come together and link one to another in the resurrection of the last day. That will be at the moment of the end times, that will be called our hope. And that's when we can say we are truly made in the image of Elohim, the image of God. So in the meantime, 
We do have a lot of trouble in this world, and there's a lot of problems in this world, and a lot of suffering and pain because we have not yet experienced the full redemption of the first and second. We've only got one half of the redemption, which is in Yeshua's death and resurrection on the third day. We're waiting for the Geulah, or the final redemption of the end day. Then we can say we are in his image. So, in the meantime, when we were born into this world, it is the image of Psalm 139, verses 14 and 15. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It is true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Absolutely. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows very well. But look at the second half of the verse. My frame was not hidden from you. It means he hasn't forgotten about us. When I was made in secret and skillfully embroidered in the underworlds, plural, of the earth, that is the lower parts. We were not born from above, but that's why we have to become born from above, to break clear, to break clean from Psalm 139, verse 15. That is, we want to be filled with the Spirit. So let us draw near to the words of Yeshua. So let us draw near to the words of Yeshua in what is called Hamotzi. Hamotzi. And this is the blessing of the bread. It's a Hebrew term. Now, for those of you that have been to Jewish synagogues all over the world, maybe you've been to one, two, three, more of them, I don't know. Maybe you grew up in one. Maybe you know people who have been to synagogues. Maybe you are part of a messianic type of congregation that does the bread and the wine along with Torah and those kinds of Hebraic things. If you have then you're going to know that Jews and Messianics and those who like and love the Hebraic way of life and thought, especially coming down from the Jewish people who have passed it down to all of us. Yes, that's true. It is a universally recognized prayer. Hamotzi is a universally recognized prayer for the taking of of bread, lechem. The traditions, of course, are going to vary from synagogue to synagogue, from community to community, but the prayer concept of hamotzi is always the same, no matter where the Jewish people gather in the world. So let's take a look at the prayer, and I will be saying it more than once on this podcast. Here it is in Hebrew. Baruchata Adonai, as some will say, Eloheinu Melech Haulam, Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Translated, Blessed are you, Yehovah, our Elohim, King of the Universe. Then the last statement is, Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Bread coming out 
or if you will, coming forth from the earth. Motzi in Hebrew. Let me spell it for you. Mem, Vav, Tzadi, Yud, Aleph. Mem, Vav, Tzadi, Yud, Aleph. Motzi. This is from the Shoresh or the root word Yatsa. Hamotzi is from Yatsa with an Aleph. It means coming out or coming forth. This root gives us the term to go out or to exit. If you happen to travel to Israel and you spend any time at all around the malls or you go on the streets or you're in parking garages or at the airport, look for the term Yitziah. Look for it. It's the word exit. To exit. You're going to go out that way. Okay, because this is the concept of what Yatsa refers to. It's to go out or to exit. Yitziah. If you're looking for an exit in Israel, you could say, Where's the exit? So this is the idea of going out and exiting. It's coming from Yatsa, and we get the word motzi or hamotzi. Now, what kind of bread is this referring to? This bread that comes out from or comes forth from the earth. What is it? It has been given an identifiable name in Hebrew, and any of you that say this blessing and take the bread, whether it's on a Shabbat table or it's on a Sabbath at a congregational meeting, you know, it doesn't matter. That bread has a special and specific name. We say hamotzi, but the bread itself has a specific name. It is called chala, chala. It's with a chet. Chet lamed hey is the root or the shoresh for that term in Hebrew. Chala, chet lamed hey. We know it today as a lump of dough that is braided or plated with three parts of dough. You ladies, you know when you make it at home, what are you doing? What's the basis of that? This is the law of challah, and it goes back to the bread that belongs to the priestly class of the Hebrew nation. We are not going to touch on this so much right now in all the details. All I wanted to do was get to the point of telling you about challah. So now let's go into some of the ideas concerning challah rather than dealing with the theology of the priestly bread, which is not what I want to talk about today. Challah in Hebrew, like enosh or enosh, is a word that refers to sickliness and illness. In other words, simply, challah can be called the bread of of sickliness, the bread of affliction, the sick bread. You ladies, when you bake your challah for a Sabbath or for a special occasion, what you're doing is you're baking sick bread. You're baking sickliness bread, ill bread. That's what you're doing. But you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing, not just the fact that you're doing it. And for those of you that have traveled to Israel, 
you will know that from Hebrew, that someone who is sick is said to be chole, chole, that's masculine, or chola, feminine. So if I'm real sick, you know, <coughs> and I'm really sick, I'm going to say ani chole, because I'm a male. If you're a woman, you would say ani chola, because it's feminine. And that means you're sick. <laughs> you know, maybe you're throwing up. Maybe you got a fever. Maybe you got something, okay? It's the idea of chet lamed lamed from which we get the word chala. If you must be transported to a hospital, yeah, forbid. But if you have to be transported to a hospital because you're really, really over the top sick, then the term for a hospital in Hebrew is bait. Cholim, Beit Cholim, that is the house of the sick, a hospital. So the bread term chala, chala, is from the same root that we get the term Beit Cholim, that is a bread of sickness. So when you go to a grocery store and you buy a loaf of chala, what are you doing? Or you bake the challah, and then on a Sabbath, or on a Friday night Arab Shabbat dinner, or on a congregational meeting, you all come together as the congregation and you take the bread and the wine. What in the world are you doing? You are taking hamotzi. You are saying, Baruch Atah Yehovah, or Baruch Atah Adonai, or something like that. Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem Min HaAretz. You're going to be saying, Blessed are you, Yehovah, our Elohim, King of the Universe, then your last statement will be this great, grand, glorious expectation, and you will say, bread coming out from the earth, or bread coming forth from the earth. So you are doing this action using the sick bread, or the bread of affliction, which is the challah bread. So, I'm asking the question, as I've sort of already said it, you know, a few times already, why is this the case? Why are you doing this? Remember the historical passage of the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 20. And when they heard, they glorified Jehovah, and they said, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews that there are who have believed, of course, in Yeshua, and they are all zealous for the Torah, for the law. Myriad is an English word, and it means ten thousands times ten thousands. That is, you can't even count them. There are so many of the Jews who did believe in Yeshua back in that day, and they were zealous for the keeping and guarding of the Torah. Back in that day, some 20 centuries ago, there were myriads, that is, ten thousands 
times ten thousands of Yehudi brethren, Jews, who were dedicated and strong believers in Yeshua HaMashiach. Yes, indeed, absolutely. They did not just fade away over the yet-to-come years and decades and centuries. Nope, not at all. They did not fade away. They had sons. They had daughters. They had children who then grew up, and they had sons and daughters and children, and they likely taught all of these teachings and these blessings of what they learned and what they understood and knew about Yeshua, they taught them in their families and in their family life. They taught the blessings and the principles of Yeshua's words and his actions about his death and his third day resurrection, that those myriads of Jewish believers in Yeshua would have passed down the truths of the good news of the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. They would have given it to their sons and their sons' sons and their sons' sons, sons' sons' sons, all the way down until their generations went by. This means that the Hebraic biblical truths of Yeshua were never entirely erased over time, among millions of non-believing Jews from all walks of life. No. So as you get centuries down line, and you get into the Talmudic period between about the 300s and the 500s, the rabbis and the scholars walking from every facet of life, Yeshua's truths were passed down to them. They were not lost until it got to them. And then they're probably looking back and saying, uh, now let's see, now where, where did we get this from? Oh, uh, I don't know, Rabbi. Oh, okay, well, I think they lost the meaning of what it was referring to. That's my take on it. I think they had the truth. They just lost the meaning of it as you get one, two, three, four hundred years down line. Therefore, today... Jews of every make and model all over the world, they are preserving these unique Hebrew truths and blessings, and these all contain within them the truths and blessings of what happened when Yeshua raised from the dead in his resurrection on the third day. Indeed, all of these things are being passed down to us through the Jewish people because it got passed down to them. Whether they know it or not, it doesn't matter. It's still being passed down. This is Yehovah's sense of humor, in kind of in a way. Consequently, when Jewish and Hebraic communities, when they do hamotzi and they take the challah, the bread of sickness, they are being reminded, whether they know it or not, that Yeshua himself resurrected as bread out of the earth on the third day, exactly as it was historically preserved for us in the New Covenant teachings when we do hamotzi, 
and we take challah, that is the bread of sickness, or the sick bread, we are reminded of what Yeshua did for us through his death and third day resurrection. That's why we are saying, Baruch Atah Yehovah, or Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem Min HaAretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our Elohim, King of the universe. And then, closing with the statement, Bread, bread coming out from the earth, or bread coming forth, sprouting up from the earth. With this Hamotzi prayer in Judaism, you are reminded of who you are when you join Yeshua and are associated with him and his work because of the role that Yeshua took on for us from Isaiah 53, 4. I'm not talking about the bread making us sick. I'm talking about Yeshua who says... Do this in remembrance of me. Do this, Hamotzi, in remembrance, in the memory of me. Remember what I did for you when I became the sick bread, when I became the hala, when I became the sick bread, the weak bread, the bread of sickness for you. We'll pick up with more of this on the next podcast. This is Avi ben Mordechai. And if you want more information, go to the website www.cominghome.co.il Again, cominghome.co.il This is Real Israel Talk Radio.